someone picks up my book and reads it and they've been there and I'm misplacing something somewhere where it's not supposed to be, uh, then you will get called out for that in your reviews and people will get pissed off. You know, some people like, well, you have to also keep in mind, you know, like we're not we're not necessarily nomadic creatures anymore, but we do travel a lot. A lot of us. Right. And we'll see different places. Hello and welcome to The Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Betts. Each week, we're here to bring you the strategies and advice you need to achieve your writing and publishing goals. This week, you're going to need to mute your Amazon smart speakers like I have, as we're talking to Alexa Whitewolf about world building and why it matters for more than just fantasy and sci-fi. Alexa White Wolf provides editing services through Lunar Imprints Author Services, which is often shortened to LIAS, to new and established authors. Her mission is to help indies achieve their dreams of self-publishing their books by helping them fine-tune their novels to publishing quality. Alexa is also a dog-loving, caffeine-addicted, all-round travelling enthusiast. Author of fantasy, paranormal and young adult books, she spends her nights dreaming up new stories and her days fighting reality. She lives in Ottawa, Canada, with her husband and two mischievous furballs, Zeus and Achilles. I spoke to her about world building and why it's so important for every genre. And why you hate it so much. Yeah, I kind of do. I actually stopped writing fantasy for almost a decade because of how much I hate world building. But you and Alexa really helped me through all of that so that I could publish Afterlife Calls. So thank you. We're just that good. And we just brought out your natural abilities. I wouldn't say they were natural abilities, to be honest. It was incredibly painful doing some of the world building stuff that Alexa set me, but in a good way, because they've then set me up to carry on with the series and have those later books in the series be much easier and stop me from digging myself into holes as well, because I know all of the world building stuff and just a lot easier the pain was worth it in the long run yeah it was because it would have caused even more pain if i hadn't done those things would you like to bitch about world building with someone who hates it just as much as you do or maybe you just want to talk actual writing and the good sides of it if so come join us in our free facebook group visit writerscookbook.com forward slash facebook group and it will magically redirect you to our community and as ever, if you find this and our other episodes valuable, you can support The Writer's Mindset over on Patreon. You'll get early access to episodes, bonus content, and our undying gratitude for supporting us and all the work that goes into creating these episodes to inspire and motivate you. To come join us, visit patreon.com forward slash writers mindset. And as of now, we are also doing regular writing sprints. So if you're struggling to get focused and need a little bit of accountability, come take a look and Come join us. So how has your writing been going this week then, Ellie? Not as good as last week, I admit. Um, there's been some writing, but not consistently. And that is something I need to fix. I have been doing various other bits and pieces as well. and just trying to get things on track and actually work out a schedule following finishing the master's degree. So that's just been some teething problems, but it's getting there. Um, so I just need to make sure that I'm now consistently writing and obviously working towards getting those books finished, right? Yeah, it's a journey. It's a journey. It's a long journey, but it's a journey worth traveling, worth going on, worth journeying. 
<laughs> what about you? What have you been up to this week? I've been maintaining my daily writing habit. I've been getting out of bed and writing at least a thousand words, and I now have eighteen thousand on the fourth afterlife cause book, which is which is sacrifice. But I actually kind of had an epiphany this week, and I realised that I don't want the pressure to be on my fiction to pay the bills because the income from fiction is up and down a lot. It's almost there are trends, and so some months are more profitable than others, and that puts a lot of strain on me and on my books and it can lead to a bit of a panic if I don't have enough to like spend on ads on a particular month or I don't have the spoons to optimize the ad campaigns and stuff because I get bored doing it and so I have been doing more client work this week and I actually feel a little bit better doing it because I like writing nonfiction. I like writing content I like it even more when I'm not writing it for myself and it's even better when I get paid to do something that I like because who doesn't want to get paid to do something they enjoy right and having more to do with my clients has kind of given me more of a sense of accomplishment I guess because they're shorter pieces they're like 700 to 1500 words and so you compare that to writing a book you don't get that same sense of ticking something off a list what, what is that that's not even a tick what am I doing with my hand yeah, Ellie's just miming in the background now, like casting a magic spell. Um, yeah, but it's not that same sense of accomplishment that you get when you do something much shorter and you can, you know, reduce it down and reward yourself after every chapter or a thousand words like I do. But it's still not quite the same feeling. Shall we dive into discussing world building with Alexa Whitewolf? Yes, it's a very good episode if I might be slightly biased. We do love Alexa here at the Writer's Mindset, but uh, she has a lot of interesting information to show with us too. She's yep. worthwhile paying attention to. She knows her shit and the good stuff as well. <laughs> with me today is author and editor and my lovely friend, Alexa Whitewolf. Welcome to the Writer's Mindset. Thank you for having me. So for our listeners out there who aren't familiar with you, can you just tell everyone a little bit about yourself? For sure. So I'm a paranormal romance author. I've dabbled in fantasy romance and a couple of other things along the years. And I'm also the uh, editor and owner of Luna Imprints Author Services, which is um, an editing and author services company that offers affordable services to indie writers. Awesome. So today we are talking about world building, which I know is something that you're quite passionate and picky about. Yes, just a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> It's not like you've nitpicked on my books or anything. <laughs> Never. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us then, why is world building important for not just fantasy and sci-fi, but for every genre? I think really like the world building is the the meat of your story you know it's you'll have your readers will fall in love with your characters they'll get sucked in by your plot but the world building is really what paints that picture and that setting around what you're writing and if you don't have that or if it's lacking it unfortunately will take readers out of the story and it will get them to connect less with it and it will get them to you know potentially put the book down and just maybe never come back to it again um and you know yes it's more important in you know genres like fantasy and sci-fi um, but even romance, it's it's important to have it because it it plays a role in how your characters uh, develop and how they grow. And without it, really, like I said, like you you won't end up with as cohesive or as suck worthy a book as as you want might want to. 
Yeah, I never used to think of what I did for what happens in books as world building because it was just, I guess, because I'm basing it on something that already exists, right? I'm basing it on Hollywood. But I had to do my own version of Hollywood to fit around the characters and what I needed and also the characters needed to fit around that. Mm -hmm. And so that is still world building. Yeah, exactly. 100%. And what I liked about, like, for example, the What Happens In series, you know, is you may know, you know, for example, like with the first book, most people are familiar Mm -hmm. with New York. You know, you don't have to necessarily paint a picture of New York for them to know what they're at, but you bring your own spin to it, you know, and you're talking about how specific aspects of the culture of New York or the people of New York or the language of New York affects your characters. Um, And I think that, you know, like that, that's a way of taking a world that already exists and sort of making it your own. And it makes people feel like they're really immersed in it and that's what I was trying to do Mm -hmm. and it's funny because I don't know if you've been privy to this rant of mine or not but I detest world building (laughs) no (laughs) really (laughs) I do yes um it caused a little bit of stress when I was working on afterlife calls a little bit but we'll get to that later would you say that it's harder then to world build when something is based in this world or when creating a whole new one it's hard because i think every each side has their own pros and cons i think it's harder on one end if you're picking a world that already exists like here you know like let's say that you set your book in somewhere like um, i don't know like france like i had my avalon series you know the beginning of it is set in france and avignon and when I set that up, like I had to be very mindful of, you know, yes, I'm going to write the story in there, but I have to be really fair to the actual city. Like I have to do my research if I haven't been there directly and make sure that I'm portraying it properly. Because if someone picks up my book and reads it and they've been there and I'm misplacing something somewhere where it's not supposed to be, uh, then you will get called out for that in your reviews, you know, and people will get pissed off. You know, some people, you know, like, well, you have to also keep in mind, you know, like we're not, we're not necessarily nomadic creatures anymore but we do travel a lot a lot of us right and we'll see different places and sometimes when readers pick up a book it's specifically because it says that it's set in xyz place or city right so yeah so i think you have to be very careful when you pick something that already exists to make sure that it's representative of the real thing and not just think of it in terms of okay you know this is where that coffee shop is and this is where that street is and this is where my character's house is but bring to life the culture of it right like if you're picking a place that already exists why did you pick that place what about it fits in with your characters and when you're creating a different world obviously that comes with its own pros and cons as well because you have to create everything from scratch which on one hand means yay free imagination and on the other hand it means uh uh-oh I kind of dug myself into a hole (laughs) I think if you know if we're talking about which one is hardest probably creating one from scratch is harder because it has a lot more elements but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try it sometimes that's the fun no no it's not (laughs) (laughs) no I think for some people it is but for me it's still my least favorite part but because I do all the planning up front it helps and I remember when you beta read the first version of the ghost call you were like Mm -hmm. how does this work how does that work what's this (laughs) what's that 
how is that how is this a thing and I'm like <laughs> my head is gonna explode and I'm not even joking Ellie had to give me a pep talk because I was this close to giving up because I had so much to fix and she's like no no you're onto something keep going I'm like no no there's too much there's too much and she's like no you've got it you're onto something everyone loves the characters you just need to fix really minor things and actually Ooh. once I got over my panic I did realize actually it was minor things but because it was something I wasn't used to doing it felt bigger which I think a lot of you know a lot of writers deal with um and especially you know like when when you get feedback for, whether from better readers or an, or an editor or whatnot you know there's always that little bit of panic of how do I fix this you know like there's so much to fix yeah but um yeah no world building is uh it has it definitely has its place yeah you could say that <laughs> <laughs> When should a writer actually start the world building process then? I think it also depends on the type of writer that you are, right? Like if you're someone who is, you know, I don't like to really label, you know, as in plotter, painter, like I do a little bit of either, you know, I just, I generally have a plan of where my books are going to go. And then I sort of add to it as I go along. But you want to, at the very least, jot down the main ideas for your book, um, you know, and for your, for the world that your book is set into. And this plays a big role in something like fantasy. So if you, you know, if you're writing a regular romance, right, not paranormal romance, but just a regular romance, then you probably would be able to get away with just the extent of the world building that you're going to do at the beginning is what city is this going to be set in? You know, kind of what does it look like? (laughs) And where's my character located versus everyone else? Which is very basics, right? But as you start writing that romance, maybe you're going to realize that your character, I don't know, maybe she recently moved there. So the culture of the place is different than hers. Maybe the language is different than what she speaks. You know, maybe like the the history of the place somehow impacts her as, as a character, you know, who's growing or whatnot. So all of those things can start adding in when you're going through your actual novel um, and you're writing it but if you're very much going to write a genre where you have to have a very good world building which is basically anything in the fantasy realm and sci-fi you you should definitely have a separate plotting section for that world building and write your draft just with you know the basic ideas in mind but once you finish that first draft you grab your notes about what your world is supposed to be and you go through every scene and you say okay am i showing the culture of this place here am i showing the you know how the people react am i showing you know if there's anything that impacts the history or whatnot like you you did that for example with with the afterlife calls um like in the second book you start seeing so much more of the town that they're in you know and how more of the magic like you learn more of the magic system and everything i've done a similar thing with um like with my lost royals of transylvania series right like with my vampires originally when i started i just knew these are going to be set in transylvania they're living in the castle that's it and the story period you know they're in the 21st century and yes there's going to be iphones involved but whatever um but when i started writing it there were a lot of elements that started coming back up you know in from memory also from having lived there and there were things like okay well the culture is different you know like there's going to be aspects of like people that want to be more modern people that want to stick to the old rules uh and the old way of living and whatnot so there's going to be those little culture clashes throughout and you know that sort of started becoming a bigger thing throughout the series itself and i've um i learned to add to it you know more so when when it comes to when you actually start doing it um you shouldn't write your book without having an idea of what your world is going to be that's my bottom line doesn't mean that you have to get stuck in the nitty-gritty details though okay but just have a basic idea and then when you reread your first draft 
questions that you want to ask yourself is stuff like, you know, if you have a magic system, right? And you say, oh, so-and-so, you know, they do a, they, they use magic or they do a spell. Okay, well, think about in terms of the five senses. What does the, spe- the spell look like? What does the magic feel like for the main character when they're using it? Do they smell anything specific? Th- does their sense of touch feel very different? Do they hear something like a pop in the air or a sizzle or something? You know, like think about painting that picture. That way it, you know, it adds to your magic system it adds to your world building and so on that's something i know i'm really bad for because i can see it in my head but then i get the notes back from you and ellie and it's like what does this look like i'm like oh they picked <laughs> up on the same thing oh <laughs> <laughs> happens every time every time my characters cast the spell you both comment on what it looks like or what it feels <laughs> like or what the mechanics of it are and i'm like yeah i've left this out because i don't want to work it out <laughs> or because i just can't articulate it and i have to really yeah. like push myself to be able to and I know it's important and I know it adds depth Mm. but it is that kind of I don't want to do it (laughs) I know I know what you mean and and there's there's that other aspect of it too like you you when you write your it's in your own head right so you see everything the way it happens right it's the same way with you know with my characters like it's like a movie playing out in my head and I'm just typing out the script and then you know when you're rereading it or when you're sending it to betas and they're like okay I get it that you're seeing it in your head but I'm not really seeing what you're seeing because I'm not in your head. So you have to make me be in your head. <laughs> there's that, there, there's that fun aspect. I, I think I'm becoming more aware of it. And I'm also mm-hmm. aware it's taken me 17 books to feel like I am more aware of it. Um, <laughs> Cause I think it's one thing to read it as a reader and it's one thing to read it as an editor and yeah. they are different experiences and going through and proofreading the mummy's curse and also doing the copy edits. I feel like I have noticed much more that I might not necessarily have been aware of had I done this, you know, last mm-hmm. year or even the year before. And it does really help. And I feel more confident going back through it. And even though I hated you a little bit when you made me do the world building <laughs> stuff um, for book one, <laughs> it's useful. Yep. Because then I'm not doing as much work for books two, three, and four. I already have what I need. So mm. I can just focus on the writing of it. And I don't need to worry about inconsistencies, but I can foreshadow yeah. things in book one that are going to happen in book four. So then there are kind of little things for readers who go back through and read stuff or who have a good memory. And I'm already starting to think about like book seven and eight and how, if I bring vampires into it, how are they going to be fun? How are they going to be different? How are they going to be sarcastic? And I currently am planning a lesbian vampire window fitter as one of my characters (laughs) on the topic of world building. I know this is one that some writers really struggle with. How much world building should be included in a story? Oof, yes. Um, I've seen both sides. <laughs> I've seen very, very little, and I've seen um, too much to the point that it gets confusing. I think there are elements that you're going to want to focus on more out of your world building. You know, it's it's impossible unless you're writing like a 300,000 word novel to include world building aspects of everything. This is where it usually is a great idea if you do a series because you get to build up on that world a little bit, right? Like your first book is always sort of an introduction and then your second you build up on the world building on your characters, you know, on on the magic systems and everything that's that's in place. Um so you get to see more and more of it. Like if you think even of um, you know, something like more dystopian like the Hunger Games, you know, or Harry Potter. The, the those first books don't have everything in them, but they have a lot to hook the reader. 
and they have a lot to hook you on the character, but also on what's going on around them and why the politics of the place are important, why, you know, the history of the place is important, why, you know, um, the, you know, with, with Harry Potter, why, you know, like the levels like of the school are important, like first years do this, second years do that, third years do that, right? So you know enough of it that going into the next one, you are brought back to the same world, but now there's new stakes. Now there's new things that you find out that exist in there and so on. You don't have to go into it from the beginning saying, I'm going to just shove everything in this first book. Your world building should never impact the pacing of your book. You should never feel like all of a sudden there's a massive action scene going on and then you're doing like, a side note to say, so this is taking place because, you know, historically in this particular world, this group and that group had to fight each other because of this other history and that other history. And then, you know, you just kind of go on for like three, four pages, right? And then you go back to the action. No, like that's a big, big no-no. And it drives me crazy when I see it. You want to avoid that as much as possible in writing. Um, They won't serve your story. They won't serve your, your pacing. They won't make a reader want to stick around to read the rest of it. And I also see them in romance lately, more and more and more. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what? nowadays, yeah, there's there's a couple of romance books that I've read lately where um, it seems like the, the new model is that instead of, you know, sort of showing a character's struggles of what they've been through and whatnot through, you know, dialogue and their meet and greet with their, you know, their, their significant other and whatnot and their conversations and whatnot, people decide to say there's like a little bit of a dialogue here and then it goes on with Mary, you know, uh, always felt so insecure about herself because when she was 13, you know, like her dad was mean to her and blah, 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 blah. And it just goes on for pages and pages. And it interrupts the flow of the story. And then, you know, you kind of just go back to another scene and then like the next chapter, it happens again. And then the next chapter, it happens again. I know some some writers think that this is them sort of adding background to the character and, you know, adding to the world building because they're showing how, you know, these things work and whatnot. But that's, I guess that's sort of where an editor sees these things. And they're like, this doesn't really match the pace of your book. Like this isn't helping you tell the story it's hindering you telling the story yeah it's funny you should say that because one of my favorite romances is oh, i've forgotten the name of the series that's really bad of me but anyway it's the last one in a series of standalone romances and it's called the gambler the main character whose name escapes me because it's been a while since i've read it she has childhood issues but you don't know what they are that alluded to and you see her have these commitment issues and her flighty mm -hmm. behavior and all these things that are a symptom of her childhood issues but she actually doesn't reveal what they are until towards the climax and that's when it actually has a more significant emotional impact because you care about the character more it's really really well done and i definitely recommend that series i'm not keen on the first book the substitute but the second and third books are brilliant you kind of need the background of book one and book one yeah. i think is okay but book two and three i, I literally couldn't put them down I, I forget the name of book two but book two was about divorce lawyers and then the other one was the kind of flighty friend and um the one that got away kind of thing Ooh, and it, it's a really really good series i need to read the spin-off which is about um the brother of one of the characters and his friends but yeah i definitely recommend it if you want to learn about suspense and mm. building those things up in terms of like a romance and we've got an episode with janice hardy as well which i'll link to in the show notes and she talks about building tension and one of yeah. the things she recommends for building tension and keeping people engaged is downton abbey yes i do love that show oh my gosh that yeah that's is a perfect example of you know world building done right but also tension done right and just basically everything done right 
<laughs> I've only seen a couple of episodes of Downton Abbey because Janice mentioned it, but it just, there is so much tension in it purely by not telling people what the fuck is going on. Yep. And that's what makes you want to keep going because you want yep. to know what the fuck is going on. Yep. And I think that is just such brilliant storytelling. And like Janice says, nothing happens in the first episode, in the first series, sorry, nothing. Nope. And it's still like one of the most popular British TV shows ever outside of stuff like Doctor Who. Yep. I mean, part of the reason is because it is also very stereotypically English. But... <laughs> Which is probably why the rest of the world loves it. Yeah, exactly. But then I think it's far enough removed for the actual English to feel like a fantasy as well, because it's set in like the 1910s or something. It's like in 12 it starts, isn't it? So it's far enough removed that it also feels kind of like a fantasy and it appeals to the historical audience and so it is definitely very clever one thing i remember that i think i mentioned in another episode as well was someone put in a facebook group once that she'd done all this world building Mm -hmm. for her paranormal romance and she'd even planned down to like the political system and the food characters eat and she was like how much should i include and she put a poll up and asked all of it or none of it i'm like where is what's relevant to the story yep so I added that as an extra one and then explain like, you want the reader to know what they need to know. Mm-hmm. Anything that moves the story forward. It's like, there's a lot of stuff I leave out in the ghost call that's not relevant. And that mm-hmm. the characters also don't know in terms of their powers and things. And it's brought up in The Mummy's Curse and also will be continued in The Necromancer's Secret, which is book three, because actually Neve doesn't know what she can do, even though she's 40, because mm-hmm. her mum was a compulsive liar and also just didn't bother telling her stuff because she was evil. So it is a case of like, just because you think something is really fun, Mm -hmm. that's not a reason to include it. Yeah, exactly. And there's, there's so many aspects of it. You know, sometimes also writers get bogged down in the, what do I want to tell with the story? You know, like, what's my moral of the story? What's my theme and so on. Right. And then they sort of try to, you know, they, they just keep adding things right as they write. And it ends up in this mess where you're trying to make a political statement but you're also trying to make a cultural statement but you're also trying to describe everything that they eat you know and you're also trying to you know um describe you know like every action that they do as in you know i pick up the cup and i bring it to my lips and then i take a sip of it and then i put it yeah anyways that's that's another topic altogether but the point is that yes you know like it's when it comes to world building you can do all the planning that you want you know on the side but when you're done with that think okay what's the story that i'm telling is it a paranormal romance okay well then do i really need to include what they're eating i mean if it's something specific like you know my werewolves will die if they don't eat a liver of you know like like a live liver from a human every single day, then yes, that's something that you might want to include, you know. But if it's something like, I don't know, um, if it's something that's not part of your character's personality, for example, you know, obviously if you have someone who's vegan or gluten-free or, you know, vegetarian, then that's all, that's going to be things that come up as you're writing. And, you know, you're probably going to show how many places exist in the city where the story is taking place that have those, you know, restaurants or eating places or whatnot that's that's all fun and good but at the end of the day are you telling the story because you want to show you know how many vegan places exist in you know a particular town or are you telling it because you want to show i don't know like a how a vegan vampire deals with things for example there's actually a series with that with the vegan vampire forget the name of the first book or the name of the author if I remember it, I'll send you the link so you can include it in the show notes. But um, it's I found it very interesting that, you know, like the the whole vegan aspect was actually like 
pretty decent because it added to the character development but the world building kind of sucked because it wasn't and it's nothing you know against the author or anything but it's the world building itself was just very vague for a first book you know when you kind of want to have a little bit more enough so people you know walk away from that first book thinking okay so you know in this world vampires do xyz and there exists this i don't know overarching council or something that regulates what they do you know you want to have an idea of it right and then in the next books you can build up on it and whatnot but yeah do, doing too much world building is definitely not um, like including all the little minute details just what's relevant please one series that i think does it really well is the vampire academy series by rochelle yes Mead. yes oh, you that is feel excellent. yes you feel like you're at St. Vlad's with the yep. students. And also she introduces things fairly well, I think, and mm. at the right time. Sometimes it can get a little info dumpy, particularly later on in the series. I think it feels like her publisher forced her to explain the backstory in like two pages yep. within the first chapter. But particularly with the first book, it is so vivid. It and is, yeah. She also makes fun of it and some of the vampire stereotypes, which I quite like yeah. because that also adds then to the character and the tone of yeah. the book. Yeah. And yeah, it's, we talk about Vampire Academy a lot because I got Ellie into it. I love, I, I adore that series. Um, and I think one of my favorite moments with it was always, um, you know, the fact of like the first book sucks you in and, you know, you get a very vivid like images of, you know, everything that's sort of going on. Right. And you get a very vivid feel for how Rose de deals with everything, you know, and who she is as a character. And at the end of that book, you know, you kind of walk away with, wow, like this is a really badass chick. Like I want to read more about her. You know, I want to see where this goes. Right. But there's little elements of everything in it. You know, like there's, there's her, you know, forbidden romance with Dimitri a little bit in it. There's her huge friendship with, um, geez, why am I blanking out right now? Lisa. Um, Lisa. Lisa. Yeah. Um, and um, one of my favorite moments is actually like in the later books when they actually interact with more of the royals and you get to see more of that aspect and more of what her, you know, what Lisa has to go through with them. Um, that That's, you know, that that to me was very well done because it's not something that was included in the first books, you know, like it was alluded to that there are all these elements and these pressures for being a royal in the vampire world, but there wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't dumped in as this is the world that you're entering you know this is these are all the stakes that you need to be aware of right they were just built on very much so. yeah you so. saw the queen i think once or twice and you got a yes. feel for kind of how bitchy she was yes but then yes. beyond that you didn't really see anything nope. else yeah and i think that was like that was really really well done yeah i agree what's the biggest world building mistake you see authors make when you're going through an editing or even when you're just reading as a reader i would say info dumps really is just having these paragraphs you know whether it's like paragraphs upon paragraphs or pages upon pages of um backstory or explanation of a particular world building element like you know the, this world is dystopian because this event happened like a million years ago and then you just kind of go into a lot of detail about it. I think a lot of writers have either forgotten or they're not necessarily um, well versed in the fact that you can show these things through a lot of, you know, dialogue and through what your character does. You know, like if you have a character who's very tortured, you know, as as a as a young kid or whatnot you know you don't have to keep ramming it into the reader's face and saying this is a person who's very tortured you know because this what this is what happened to him this is what happens to all the kids that live in this world you know you can show this right um and i think the show tell the the show more don't tell aspect of uh, of writing you know some writers think that it applies a lot to you know just situations like descriptions and you know maybe feelings and whatnot but it really applies to world building as well there's a lot that you can show of what world your character 
characters are in through your characters through their actions through the scenes that they're going to go through and whatnot so i would say like that's really one of the main things that i see that i always try to recommend against the other thing is specific to more to genres more like sci-fi um or fantasy they'll use some kind of concept that is very familiar to that series right or to to that genre so example um you know magic like that's the first thing that comes to mind okay anyone who writes some kind of fantasy thing they're like oh he used magic and they think that that's enough you know and it's like okay but what does magic mean in your world you know magic in harry potter is waving wands and saying spells magic in you know another series could be something that's elemental magic that comes from deep within the character magic in another series could be something like elemental where they're you know where they're pulling from um from air or water or fire like i think of the house of night series for example by pc cast right the it's like it's a vampire series in there but the vampires are able to do pretty much like elemental magic sort of magic in whatever world you're you're building is going to be completely different than what's already out there so you can't just get away with saying um you know he used magic readers will ask well what is what is magic in your world you know what does it feel like what does it taste like was it what does what do you hear when you use it you know those kind of things so i would say that's really like those those two things are the main things that i see a lot and i try to help writers to them through them because as a writer myself as a reader as an editor they're really annoying when i keep running across them in books <laughs> what about in terms of things that get neglected when it comes to world building i think one thing that doesn't get neglected is setting people are always like fairly okay at doing descriptions you know like describing this is this is what's it and whatnot but what gets neglected a lot of times i find is culture for example you know um like the people that you interact with if you're writing a book set in the UK versus set in the US like i mean the culture will be fairly different you know if you're writing a book set in the UK versus France you know same thing the culture will be very different and those things they can add so much to the storytelling just in, even in simple things like you have your main character going into a coffee shop if they're going to a coffee shop in the US it's going to be you know very fast paced very go 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 and they might feel overwhelmed if they're coming from another country or what not i mean god knows i feel overwhelmed every time i go in a coffee shop here yeah that they're, they're not that fast in the uk i can attest they are not that fast <laughs> and and in france too i remember when uh when i was in paris and you know we went to uh to a spot to grab some food and i mean you know we were waiting there must have been for about 35 minutes the food was great when it came right but i remember me coming you know from canada after so long being away from europe you know i was just like um what time is it like we got to go cuz the, the museum is going to close in like 30 minutes but i'm still really hungry and we already paid for it so what do we do you know but it's those kind of things that you sort of like you forget if you're on the outside um so i think that that gets neglected a lot in in writing and what not and it can you know it it can it can add a lot to it um, oh, definitely one of my friends is in Tenerife and oh. i remember once she sent me a picture of her like trying on an outfit in changing room she's like what do you think to this outfit i'm like did you take this like four hours ago because it was like 10 o'clock at night she's like no this isn't england shops stay open beyond five o'clock because in the uk literally everything stops yep. at five and on a sunday nothing fucking opens unless you're in the city mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that other countries didn't do that until I was like 25 because I'd only been to a few other places when I wasn't that old. So, and my mum never really went out in the evenings anyway when we did go somewhere. So I was just not exposed to that. But yeah, the UK is very backward sometimes. I'd like more to do in the evenings, please. I'd like to go shopping after work, please, if anyone's listening and has power. 
And that's so true, though. I remember when uh, when I visited Spain and a group of us, you know, didn't know that places closed between X and X hour for a siesta, right? And we were left starving until they reopened again. So that was fun. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. One thing that can be quite a good way to show culture, whether you are building your own world or setting it in this, is also the way that people treat minorities. Yes. Whether that is someone of a different race, a different religion, or they are differently abled, or there is something else that makes them othered, that can really say a lot about the political system without you having to go, oh, they're particularly left-leaning or they're particularly right-leaning exactly. or whatever. Exactly, yeah. And and that, that also plays a lot into race, for example. Sometimes like when, um, when I read, um, I was reading a really good book. Um, I really need to start writing down these titles. <laughs> Yes, but, you do. Um, but it was showing um, the uh, the girl was mixed. So she had mixed African heritage and white um, American heritage. And she was going into another country. I want to say somewhere in like Eastern Europe. And um, when, you know, in, in order to show how the people were, were reacting to her, rather than the author, you know, constantly saying, you know, like, oh, she's, you know, she, she's of a mixed race. And then, you know, like she entered this country and these people were giving her weird looks and whatnot. Um, it kind of focused on things like maybe she was kind of left standing in line for a little bit longer than anyone else and that people didn't seem to be in a rush to serve her. And again, this and what, what I found was really interesting is because when the book begins in sort of like the capital, it's very much open and very much, you know, like pretty much everyone's open to any type of traveler that comes through. But then when she went into sort of the smaller more conservative towns villages mindsets then that started changing you know and it altered her own traveling experience so i thought that was really like that was a really nice way of showing um how the culture sort of changes even within a certain country and the other thing that comes to mind that's neglected in world building sometimes is the rules of the world building right like the, almost the stakes as in you know if your character you know does something bad what what are the stakes for them in that world right over here we know if you go and kill someone you go to jail you know that's quite an extreme example <laughs> yeah sorry it's the first one that comes to mind right but you, you know, too much crime <laughs> just a little bit i've been like 99 focused on thrillers so far so yeah just a little bit but you know in in a place where magic exists for example what's really considered killing like if you have necromancers who can bring people back to life then if someone kills someone else is that really as big of a crime as it is in our world and things like that right like those 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 types of rules and limitations and regulations they increase the stakes for the character and i think sometimes you don't necessarily see them um as much in fantasy and sci-fi usually Fantasy, not always nowadays. I think the problem is sometimes either writers forget or they write themselves into a hole and don't know how to get out of it. Like you remember the early seasons of Charmed. It was a harm none and do what you will. And we mm -hmm. can only do what the scope of our powers says and we can only do what's in the Book of Shadows and maybe we can write our own spells occasionally. And then you get things like season seven and eight and suddenly they can glamour for no fucking reason. Like, where did this power come from? It is not meant to be one of the powers associated with their phase of the moon. Yeah. Like, who, yeah, it's, I could rant about that for a very long time. But it <laughs> no, just felt, they felt too powerful. And that yeah. stopped them from being as relatable because the point was they were women who were witches. Mm -hmm. They were not witches trying to live a normal life. They were women exactly. trying to juggle these things. Yeah. And it takes a lot of that normality, for want mm -hmm. of a better word, away from it if they are then casting glamours and using that to one-up someone who's annoyed them rather yeah. than using their brain instead 
And it kind of just changes the whole tune of it too, right? Like all of a sudden you have these characters that up until now, they didn't do these things, but now they're perfectly fine doing these things. So you're like, you're sending a different message, right? But you also bring a really good point. Um, and, you know, in terms of, of powers, and this, this mainly pertains to like magic systems, but um, in terms of powers, I do also see a lot of times um, clients sort of just, tossing in all these extra powers you know that someone a character wasn't able to do at the beginning of the book and then all of a sudden like halfway through the book they're able to you know to control their magic and to do all these things and I'm like but there was no growth you know and that plays a lot with character development but it also plays in your world building in your magic system right like do you have you know if if you don't know the magic or the fact that magic exists at the beginning of the book, then, you know, halfway through the book, you're able to like just do whatever you want. It doesn't really say much for the next books that are going to come because the stakes are not going to be that high. People like to see, as harsh as it sounds, people like to see characters who struggle, <laughs> you know, who fail, who are relatable yes. because it's fun to torture them. Oh, yeah. That was something I've been very consciously aware of in Afterlife Calls because I always knew what these characters' powers would be or at least kind of mm -hmm. what their labels would be. Yeah. I don't know all of their powers. I should probably refine that slightly more. But I know exactly what they need to achieve with their powers and mm -hmm. that's where the line kind of stops. You know, I know who's a necromancer and who can control life essences and I know who has a force field that they choose not to use. And I know that Neve is useless and it's one of her big gripes that everyone around her is more powerful than she is. And her mother lied to her entire life about how useless her powers mm -hmm. were. And so that's also one of the things that I really try and use to ground the books is the fact that, yes, there's magic in it, but it causes very human issues like the jealousy and the lying and I'm just spoiling my own book series for listeners now. But yeah. um, <laughs> good there, job. There are I do that all the time. You know, what I'm like, there are a lot of big revelations in the Mummy's Curse, and I've realised actually in one of the rewrites I had mentioned that one of the characters had particular powers before that it had actually been revealed. So I had to go back and rewrite that scene at the start because no one knew what this character could do yet, and they hadn't revealed it. And the reader didn't know. So I was like, okay, they're going to have to like make something up or get someone else to do something for yeah. them so that it is yeah. consistent. And I think that's the one downside to planning it all in advance is that you forget what you haven't included yet. And that's why I've also found the outline useful because yeah. it's allowed me to go, okay, this is what they know at this point and this is what they know at the next point. And this is where I reveal the thing and I reveal the thing in this way. And I just find it easier to kind of compartmentalize and not forget essentially <laughs> what people know at that stage in the story and i think you you also bring up a good point with how you built up an afterlife calls the um, the magic system and sort of like this this very human aspect of how some people will be powerful and others won't be right and that's also something that you know i always encourage writers and and you know clients to play with and i try to play with myself like um in my vampire series rather than start off with vampires that are perfectly powerful and whatnot i'm putting them like at their lowest point you know, like it is a journey for them to get back to being the heirs that they were supposed to be, to being the princes and princesses that they were supposed to be and to, you know, sort of like taking control of their of their uh, territory all over again. And that like when you when you sort of like flip your worlds upside down in a sense, like the apex predators are no longer the apex predators, but they're rather like pretty, you know, they need work. <laughs> They're like very, very rough in rough shape, like a really beat up card that you need to bring up back to life. You know, that like th that also can enhance world building a lot and make readers really root for characters as well. 
Yeah, because I think there's obviously a space for alphas, Mm -hmm. but it can be much more interesting if you're learning about them becoming an alpha or Mm -hmm. they're kind of fall of an alpha, shall we say. Because again, you're watching people suffer and that's why people, some people read, why some people watch soap operas. And it makes readers root for the characters more if they are seeing them go through these really challenging things. Yep, 100%. I think that's why I gave Neve a psychopathic mother. <laughs> well, and you know what? Like, I think that's, that's why, for example, like the Twilight books, you know, I read them like way back when I was in high school. But my favorite bits of the books was always the last book, you know, when they actually had to fight against someone that they're actually higher stakes than just, you know, Flounding around and being like the perfect people versus the human who's always a klutz. No offense yeah, that, to anyone who writes that kind of stuff, you know, that there's nothing wrong with it if you do it right. But yeah, Twilight didn't just do it for me. There is, I think that is a good example of world building though, because it was so immersive, whether it was technically mm-hmm. right or you have issues with sparkly vampires or whatever. It was the immersiveness of the world and yes. the fact that it allowed you to get out of your own head for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly why I read it as a teenager. You know, yeah. I was in a very dark place when I read the books and they offered me some support, even though I thought Edward was creepy AF. <laughs> he was. He stalked her. It's he weird. was. He is. Yes. 100 percent. Yeah. You know, and I didn't necessarily agree with some of the um, what's the word I'm looking for? moral undertones of the book should we say but that wasn't the point it was just the point of escapism and then also Mm -hmm. you had other people you could go and talk to about the book because like everyone had read it at this point as well so then it made you feel even less alone because there's not only this really vivid world Mm -hmm. but also there is a community around it and it was the same with 50 shades of gray it was the same Mm -hmm. with game of thrones it is the world building that really draws you in but what keeps you going is you give a shit about the characters because shitty things happen to them and occasionally they get a win and then more shitty things happen to them exactly and one of the things that i found really added to the world building like in in twilight for example is the books being written from bella's point of view i thought that that was one of the things that people could relate a lot with like i know in high school i could definitely relate to being you know a klutz and clumsy and you know just kind of preferring to be invisible rather than like very visible and a lot of people could relate to that you know when they were young they could relate to it in their adulthood you know in their young adulthood adulthood you name it the fact of how you know you get to see the world through her eyes and it's almost like this veil being lifted from the real world and then you see what's behind it and you see her learning about the world through a lot of dialogue and a lot of things that happen to her like for example you know stephanie meyer doesn't just like beat it over your head like vampires are dangerous vampires are dangerous vampire dangerous but you do see how dangerous they are when like bella cuts her finger and you know uh, edward's brother like jumps at her and then you get that real like oh boy, like this is really not good for her, you know? So yeah, I think that that's a good way to use first point of view in order to to build world building. Do you think um, there's a difference between how you build the world if it's first or third person? Yes, in a sense, because, and I always tell this to clients who write in first person, is when you write in first person, you know, I don't prefer either one. Like I I write personally in both. Um, But when you write in first person, you have a unique possibility to really immerse the reader in the experience, not just in the feelings and the thoughts, but in the five senses, right? And you can bring everything that your character is doing, you know, whether they're in a conversation with someone, you know, you can bring like that certain, almost like an, an additional filter to it. 
that kind of brings everything in 3D and puts it very, very sharp and focused. Because as a reader, when you're reading someone describing in first person point of view, right, like their first entrance into a new, either a new world or a new realm or a new city, right, you get that whole, you know, that I was on the street and, you know, like the smell of coffee beans assailed me. And, you know, like there were pastry shops all the, on, on the left side. And I was so starved because I couldn't like, I haven't been eating for like three days because I didn't have any money kind of thing, you know, and I'm doing a very bad <laughs> narration here, but you get what I mean. Like you, you get that whole aspect of it. Right. And it adds a lot to um, the world building. And again, like with magic systems and with hardships, you know, any, any kind of like obstacle that they come across, it's, it's no longer just about, oh, there's this rule in place that, you know, uh, maybe separates society into two, for example, right? It's about how does your character feel about that? You know, how do, how does it affect them on a psychological level, you know, like on a um, biological level, maybe, who knows, you know, like how does it affect them through the five senses? And you get more through it. It doesn't mean that you can't achieve the same aspect through third person point of view at all, but I think the narration is going to be very different. And um, writers who write in third point of view might fall more into the infodumps aspect a little bit, right? Because they're trying to explain so and so thing. Yeah, for me, um, I always knew that afterlife calls would be first person and mm-hmm. from the mother and daughter's point of view. But when I came to expanding the series, I started to find it quite limiting in -hmm. terms of, but I want to show this happening to this character and I want to show that happening to that character. And it actually stretched me creatively to then express those things to the readers without having to include other points of view, Mm -hmm. because I did contemplate including a third point of view in book two and book three. And it just didn't feel like enough because when I went back through those scenes, yes, they were cute, and they were quite fun to write. They were quite funny, but they didn't actually add anything to the story. Yeah. They were just there for background detail and mm-hmm. world building and character development. But they were things that if I really thought hard about it, I could express from Nevo Ed's point of view. Yeah, it just took that extra stretch, like you said, to do it. Yeah, and there are like a couple of scenes I kind of miss leaving out of The Mummy's Curse, but I'm like, well, I can just use those for my email list because they're things Mm -hmm. that fans of the books will enjoy reading because it's about characters that are quite popular and you do get a different perspective on the same events, essentially. And I think you bring a good point about, you know, including those extra point of views, especially if you're writing in first person. Right. And that's one of the things that, again, like I always, you know, advise against. And sometimes I see these almost these breaks from a first person point of view. And there's something that's included either in third person or from another character's point of view. And, you know, my first question is, why is it necessary? Why is it necessary to your world building? But also like, why is it necessary overall in your story? Can you tell that from your main character's point of view? Because if you can, then you might as well remove it. If you cannot, then is it really necessary? And I think writers do fall in that aspect of, you know, well, you know, this this sounds kind of cute, you know, like I want to include it. And this is going to, you know, add to it. And there's, you know, people most definitely want to see what's going on from this other person's point of view. But sometimes less is better. And taking those scenes out and, you know, including them instead for like subscribers or, you know, reader magnets or, you know, creating a little aside story those it's a much better use for them than adding them into a story that's just going to sort of break the pace and break the reading experience almost 
Definitely. We had a discussion with Christina Stanley from Pictionary about that. And she talked a lot about head hopping and how Mm -hmm. it is a very difficult technique. And you have to prepare the reader for it from the beginning. Because if you suddenly do it out of the blue, like three quarters of the way through the story, they're going to be like, what the fuck? And it breaks that bond of trust between you and the reader. My biggest pet peeve... (laughs) Aside from world building, yep, yep, yep. Other than not head hopping, unless they know what they're doing there. <laughs> um, what is one thing that writers need to remember when world building? I would say that it's not about you, it's about the reader. Um, you know, you're not, yes, you know, like this is a story that you're creating and it's a world that you're creating and you want it to, you know, sort of be what you want it to be. But when you're going through your first drafts and your second and your third and whatnot, um, you know, Keep in mind that it's not just about you, it's about the reader. So everything that you're writing, everything that you're, you know, exploring, all the scenes that you have in your book, if you want the reader to actually get the experience, the good experience out of it, that you'd, that's the main reason for why you wrote that book in the first place, then you really need to put in that extra work, you know? And if that means like spending a couple extra hours on building a magic system or on adding more descriptions or on, you know, figuring out something that you may not be keen on figuring out because you think you can just get away with it, then put in that extra work because the readers will love you more for it and your book will be so much better off. Definitely. It's easy to want to put something in because you like it. And I think it's harder to cut it with your editing out and go, but this isn't relevant to the story. Like there's loads of stuff I've discovered about Egypt from my research, but I haven't included it in the story because it's just not relevant. And that is important. Sometimes leaving out what you know is more powerful, but also Mm -hmm. you can still imply things without explicitly saying it. Exactly. Yeah. Talking about you then. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's coming, don't you? <laughs> we ask this of every guest. What's one book that changed your life? Oh, geez. You're really going to make me pick one, eh? Yes. Yes, Just we are. One. Just one. Nonfiction or fiction? It can be either. It can be either. I'm going to go old school and be totally predictable and say Christian Jacques. <laughs> It's not a one book. It's an author. It's He's a French author. Um, and I would say that I, I almost said J.K. Rowling, you know, but I changed my mind at the last minute. So Christian Jacques, is a, he's a French author who wrote a lot of a series on ancient Egypt. And when I was young, I was very like obsessed is a very good word for it with ancient Egypt, <laughs> everything about it. Um, and when I didn't realize it at the time, you know, but when I when I moved to Canada and I read a lot of I taught myself French and then, you know, like I read a lot of his books and when I started writing my own books about maybe four or five years later, I didn't realize again at the time how much his writing style had influenced me, but he has a very great way of um, sort of interweaving um, historical with paranormal slash, you know, just supernatural aspects sometimes. And you get to learn from those books, but also almost question reality in certain ways, you know? And as a child, they were a great immersive experience for me, like just, you know, getting lost in them and just reading and learning about everything that I wanted to learn about ancient Egypt. But then as an adult, when I started writing for myself, well, for myself, for my readers, (laughs) I do write for myself too. But when I started writing for my readers, um, it made 
I, I always remember that feeling, you know, of getting lost, but also learning something new and something cool that I could take with me later on. And I think that's impacted a lot, uh, the way that I, the way that I write. Um, and as an editor, you know, after years of, you know, writing my own books and stuff, when I started editing, that was also one of the main things that, you know, would clue me in to the fact that a client's book needs a little bit of work or a little bit more than just a little bit. Um, and usually it's in that it's almost like that that gut feeling that there's something missing to it. And usually it's that immersive aspect, right? And sometimes it's because of character, sometimes it's because of world building, sometimes it's just a writing style. But when that's like when that's there, you know, that's why I, f- I try to focus a lot on coaching clients and kind of getting them to 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 better themselves so they don't necessarily need an editor for every single book down the line. But at the very least, you know, they're able to sort of take that with them the same way that I took what I learned from Christian Jacques' books and then implement it in later books down the line and stuff. Is there any one of his books you recommend starting with? Uh, there's a Ramses series that is fantastic. So I would definitely say that one. You know, he's he's written about uh, early pharaohs in ancient Egypt. He's written about, you know, like the, the middle dynasties, the later dynasties. Um, I, I started smack in the middle and then I made my way back and then I made, made my way forward, which is what I seem to be doing with every single series that I start. Nowadays, it's very rare that I start with the first book. But yeah, they're almost so like the series are almost interconnected by the history, but they're not interconnected, you know, by the characters. So I would, I would definitely say the Ramses books um, and then just pick your way down from there. Cool. Where can our listeners go if they want to find out a little bit more about you? Uh, well, you can go, if you want to find out more about me and my books, you can go to my author website, alexawhitewolf.com. Um, if you want to find out more about editing in general and editing tips and so on, you can go to our editing website at lunaimprintsauthorservices.com. And I laugh because it's a little bit of a longer one. <laughs> or you can just check out, uh, we're on uh, social media, Twitter, Facebook, the usual. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Did you find this episode enlightening? Don't forget to hit that shiny, shiny subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Or if you're watching on YouTube, give us a subscribe and hit the like button. It really helps other writers find our videos and lets us know what type of content you want more of. And don't forget, you can support The Writer's Mindset over on Patreon for less than your favourite coffee a month and get writing sprints. Join our growing gang of writers to get early access to episodes, bonus content, and monthly writing catch-ups with us. And writing sprints. Visit patreon.com forward slash writers mindset to come join us today. And don't forget to check out our free Facebook group, which you can find at writerscookbook.com forward slash Facebook group. We're in there every day talking all things writing, mindset, reading, and occasionally pets. So it'd be great to see you in there. See you next time. Keep writing! (laughs) 